Thank you, Eric. Well, have you ever been somewhere where you you just felt you didn't belong? You know, maybe you maybe it's a particular place you went there, and it just I mean, it just felt strange. It felt unwelcoming. Or maybe uh, it's just that the people you were around, you didn't feel like you belonged with them. And um, you, you felt like you're that odd person out. You know, you've been there. You've been at a table or so on, and they're all laughing and telling their stories and so on, and, and you just, you're just not part of it. Okay. Well, it's this concern that Jesus had about his disciples, the men that he was going to be uh, soon leaving, and he's going to leave them in a world in which they, they no longer were going to fit. So now he's going to pray about that, and so let's continue to listen in. The, the text, by the way, is, is in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along uh, in there. So Jesus says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. So he's, he's leaving his disciples, and he recognizes that he's leaving them in a tough place. He's leaving them in the world. He's going back to heaven. He's going back to where, where there's just glory, there is holiness, there is righteousness, there is love, and that's all that exists. His disciples have to remain in a world in which, in which there is impurity, uh, sin, hatred. It infiltrates everywhere. There's no sanctuary, no safe place. And so he makes one specific request of his father, actually in this whole prayer here, uh, up to this time. And that is to keep them. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. So when he uses that word to keep, what he means is watch over them. Watch over them and protect them. And the disciples are going to be needing God the Father to do just that. They need him to be that good shepherd who's watching over his flock to protect them from danger. And what's interesting in what what he adds on here is he doesn't say, keep them that they may be safe. What is he saying? He says that they may be one. So why does he... What does he take this turn, and what does he mean by it? Well, we're actually going to be looking at that more closely uh, in a couple of weeks, um, because it's going to appear three times as we finish up that prayer. But for now, we're, we're interested in how it relates to, the, to, the, to Jesus' point about the Father keeping them. And what I would just suggest is that Jesus is referring to a oneness of purpose, You know, in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus will speak several times of having a a single mindset of doing the will of his Father. Let me give you a couple examples. In chapter 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then 638, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so it is in this, this singleness of purpose, which is to do the will of the Father, that the disciples will be able to go forth into a hostile world, and specifically with the gospel of their Lord. 
It's also going to be their singleness of, of purpose. Um, doing that will, that's going to be the most difficult thing to do. There's going to be the, these, these pressures to carry on a work that, that actually is just beyond them. They don't have the ability to do it. They're going to have the trials that they're going to go through in the world that from their own personal weaknesses and, and, and sins. And all of these things are going to work towards trying to divide them, trying to defeat them. And it will be only by the power of God, and that's what Jesus means when he says, keep them in your name, that they're going to be able to stand up against their foes and to successfully carry out that mission to spread the gospel. And so Jesus asked the Father, watch over Watch over his disciples, keeping them united for the cause of doing his and his father's will, of protecting them from the hostile forces that they're going to be facing. Now, he then gives a report of his own work in this regard. In verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. So Jesus has faithfully kept protective watch over his disciples. He's been ever mindful that they are, are his father's gifts to him. And he has, as he noted, has successfully guarded them. Only Judas will fall away. But that's not due to Jesus' failure but to what Jesus had stated before back in John 6, that no one is going to come to him except that the Father draws him. Okay, then it goes on in verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Okay, so he's bringing us back now. We're being reminded of the scenario of his prayer. His time on earth is drawing near. He's going back to his home in heaven. And he's leaving his disciples here to cope in this world. You know, something I had not, I'd forgotten about thinking about, though, is he is praying. Jesus is praying out loud. And he's praying in front of his disciples. They're still actually in the upper room. They haven't even gone to the Garden of Gethsemane yet. And so they're listening in. And he wants them to know, as he's praying to his father, that his desire for them is not merely having a stoic heart, you know, by which, you know, we're going to take on the troubles that are, that are facing them. He wants joy for them. He wants the very joy that he knows, even in the midst of the pain and the sorrow that he is about to bear. And he... He has spoken of this elsewhere in, again in John's Gospel, back in chapter 15, verse 11, while he's still there in the upper room. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So now is the time as, we, as we're removing, moving on to these remaining verses Kind of go back again. What is it that's underlying Jesus' prayer, his concern? Again, he's leaving his disciples in the world. He knows in verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. He expresses one specific concern. 
how they're going to face it. I mean, he's worried about them. Okay. So he continues with that in verse 14. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we already know this. I mean, that Jesus himself has already experienced hatred. The whole reason he's going to the cross or, or the cause of it is because of this hatred. It's been building up. And, and the disciples, because they're following him, they've experienced the same thing. And Jesus knows that this is going to continue. It's only going to get worse for them. Okay. Now, you know, one could name all kinds of reasons for this hatred. But Jesus says that it all under what what it comes through is one fact that they must live in a world that they they're not of it anymore. They don't belong to it anymore. So how is it then? What does he mean when he says that they are not of the world? Well, I think it's the same idea that we were just speaking of earlier about that oneness of mind. You know. Though the disciples, they're human beings, they were born into this world. Okay? They look no different from their neighbors. But what is different now is that they are followers of Jesus Christ. And they are about to be made new in him. And so they no longer will have the same mindset as their neighbors of the world have. They will not hold the same values. They will not have the same worldview. They will not have the same belief system. They will not share the same goals. They will be living for the glory of God, and they will be following the teachings of their Lord Jesus Christ. And as we're about to see in a moment, they will also have been given a mission to take the gospel into the world that doesn't believe in it, is hostile to it. So they then are in the position of being again in the world, but not of it, just like their master, Jesus. So what then is to be done for them? Okay. He's already asked the Father to keep them in his name, that is, keep them safe by his power. And he, but he speaks of this, and he speaks of this again about the keeping. In verse 15 he does. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. So this time Jesus specifies who it is to protect them from. It is that evil one. It is Satan. Satan's already desired Peter. He's already asked for him. And it is only because Jesus said, look, I've already prayed for you, Peter. Otherwise, you know, he wanted to sift you like, like flour. And but I have prayed for you. Satan will get allowed a little bit for him to to fail one time, but he'll be picked back up again. So those attacks against Peter then, against other disciples, they're going to continue. Jesus petitions the Father to protect them, and then he adds what seems to be an odd expression. Let's continue, verse sixteen. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. But here in 17 now, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And what does that mean 
first of all, to be sanctified. And then what does it mean to be sanctified in the truth? Well, what Jesus would have had in mind, undoubtedly, would be this. It's the, it's the practice of the Jewish people, the practice of consecrating, of setting apart a person or an object for holy service. Take the priests. The priests were consecrated to perform their duties in the temple. They were sanctified, consecrated, set apart. There are objects in the temple that first of all are made holy, set apart in the temple for their, for their use. And so Jesus is calling on his father to consecrate his disciples, set them apart from the world for God's service in the world. And then as he notes in verse 18, as the father sent him on a mission in the world, so see, he's sending them his disciples, on that same mission. Let them, then, be consecrated for this work. Similar in the way that that a, a minister of the gospel is set apart, he is ordained, he's being consecrated, sanctified to carry out that work. Now, what does it mean to be sanctified, then, in truth? Other translations, if you have your NIV, you're reading... The term by truth, or maybe it might say through truth. Now, actually, what verse 17 speaks of is not simply truth, but the, that particle, that article is in front of there, the truth. And Jesus clarifies what he means by the truth. He means God's word. So God's word would be that which is revealed, the revealed word of scripture which all the Jews understood to be God's word. It would also have been the words that Jesus taught his disciples, which were faithful teachings of God's word. It would include the words that are going to be revealed to them later on through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and will become the the scriptures of the New Testament that we now know. It will definitely be the truth of the gospel. The truth that Jesus is the Messiah come to save his people from sin through the atonement he will make. And so it is the, it is the understanding of the gospel truth that's going now particularly to separate these disciples. You know, not only from just that, the pagan world out there, but from their fellow Jews who, who profess belief in the scriptures. And yet they fail to recognize Jesus as sent from God. Again, this is something Jesus talked about earlier, back in John 5. Let me read it to you from verses 38 and 39. He says, you do not have, uh, do not have the Father's word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures, and he's talking about here the uh, the religious leaders, the theologians, the scribes. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Here you are, you're studying and studying. I'm in front of you, and you can't make the connection. And that's what's going to happen with the disciples. They've made that connection. And they're going to get into trouble for that. So Jesus closes this part of the prayer then 
with a moving statement in verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, that word consecrate is the exact same word as sanctified. So Jesus, what he's saying is that he's dedicating himself to the sacrifice that he's about to make. Now, he's, he, in one sense, he had already done so when he came to earth in the first part. He set himself apart, even set himself apart from his glory in heaven. And he came down to carry out the mission of which the Father sent him. But especially now, he is about to offer himself as the sacrifice to take away sin. And he's dedicating, he's consecrating himself for this holy task. The sacrifice will be for many. It was for us. But at this moment, he's thinking right now, he's thinking of those few men who are with him there in the upper room. And for their sake, he's saying, and so that they can hear him, he consecrates himself. He does this so that they will themselves be consecrated. Undoubtedly, he would have been thinking, it makes me think, going back to Aaron and his sons, the first priests uh, that were consecrated as priests. And when that took place, a bull and two rams were what? They were sacrificed for them. And then blood was taken uh, from the sacrifice, placed on an earlobe and on a thumb and on a, on a toe. And then a hyssop branch was taken and it was dipped into that blood and then it was it was sprinkled over their garments. Okay. And what, what was happening is they were being sanctified. They were being consecrated for their service as priests. So in like manner, Jesus will consecrate his disciples by his sacrifice. And they will be uh, sanctified, consecrated, truly. In a sense, what they are about to become are priests for the world. They will mediate now. They will draw men and women to God. Can you sense his passion? His dedication? Can you, can you sense his love for these men whom the Father has given to him? It's just a beautiful prayer. Now, what lessons can we uh, learn from this prayer? We also are listening in. He also is thinking of us because... And just the next time we come back here and and preach, it'll all be about us. But one thing we are to learn, what Jesus understood is that, look, while we're in this world, there is in essence a war taking place. We have an enemy. And that enemy is the evil one who has stolen this world and turned it against its creator. This world which should very much be our home. That's what it was intended to be. It is hostile now to those who would follow the Son, who who came to reclaim it for his Father's kingdom. So if we faithfully go out into this world under the name of Jesus, we will find ourselves in the world, but not of it. We will find, actually, a world that hates us because it hates our Lord, whom we follow and obey. Now, it depends, it depends upon the era, the, the place in which we live. Most of us, 
from my age on up, when we were growing up, and we, we grew up in church, and if you're from the South, I mean, no, we couldn't ever think of a time in which the world was hostile to us. Our neighbors were hostile because we professed to be Christians. There are times in which it will be strong. And we're moving into a time in which now we are beginning to feel it. Even we here are beginning to feel it. There are those in different parts of the world, they have lost their lives for it. They can't come to a church publicly because of it. Whatever the case, whether it may seem light or, or hard, it's coming. Sometimes it might just be so subtle, as it was for many of us, again, when we were growing up, we are just kind of just drawn into a compromised position. We become more like the world, not even really realizing. Sometimes it is very combative, as it is becoming right now, and our courage is, is confronted. Well, know this. Know that our Lord Jesus prays for us. Just as he prayed for his disciples the night before his sacrifice, he prays for his Father to keep us to protect us by his power. He prays for our defense against the evil one and in, in all evil in this world. Know that. And know that the Father hears the prayers of his Son. You are in your Father's hands, and Jesus promised that no one can snatch you out of those hands. There may be times in which you feel alone, but know that you're never Alone. It doesn't matter how you feel. He is with you. And then remember that you have been consecrated by no less than the blood of Jesus Christ. He has saved you to send you back into the world on his behalf. To spread his good news. To to give the hope that you have. to, To turn his enemies into his disciples. Just like you were. To turn sinners into his father's children. And furthermore, he directs you to the surest means by which you can keep yourself sanctified, set apart, to keep yourself following him. You're going to be tempted to sin. You're going to be tempted to doubt, to compromise, to despair. Turn then to the truth. Turn to God's word for your sanctification. Be in the word. I like that expression, be in the truth, not just by the truth. Be in the word. As we are told in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what the scripture will do for you. Read the word, study the word, meditate on the word. For it is there, there in the word, that you're going to find your anchor for truth. Where you will be guided, where you will be counseled in truth. Where you will be comforted, where you will be lifted up in truth. And those who are, who are young, in particular, you know, I want to tell you, there are going to be many voices calling you from different directions. You're going to have a lot of pressures. 
The evil one will do all that he can. He'll do everything he can to lead you away from your Lord. But if you turn to the gospel of your Lord now, and if you, if you keep in his word, if you do that now, you're fine, you'll find what you're going to need. You're going to find the truth. You're going to find the hope that you will need to be faithful to the one who uh, has consecrated you by his sacrifice for you. Those of you who have lived many years, you know this to be true, don't you? You can look back, and there may have been times, there may even have been years in your life, that you became more of the world than of God's kingdom. And you know that when you turn back to, to the word of God, that's where you found your bearings. It's not merely that the word of God is authoritative, and therefore, boy, you better be... You know, you better obey it. But that it alone, it can sustain you. It can empower you with pure truth. And then understand this great truth that comes from God's word. Yes, we are in a war. In a war. We live in a world while not being of it. We fight against the evil one who seeks our destruction. But even so, while in this battle... Remember that what lies before us, and even right now, is joy. The same joy that Jesus knew, the same joy that he prayed for us to know now. You know, the writer of Hebrews exhorts us to uh, to be looking to Jesus. He speaks of him as the founder and the perfecter of our faith. This is in Hebrews 2, verse 2 who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Sorry, that's in Hebrews 12. There can be joy, even in the midst of suffering. And the disciples, they will learn this truth. And actually, the the very first time in which they go through persecution, and they're, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, and they are beaten physically. And we're told that when they left, that they rejoiced in being counted worthy to suffer for their Lord's name. See, that's what happens to those who truly know the joy of their salvation. For those who, who grasp the love of their Savior for them, really know that. Who, who are humbled by his sacrifice for their sins who are filled with gratefulness for the grace that is displayed to them, who daily keep in that word, in God's word, and read of his his promises that have been fulfilled, of his his grace that has been given to them, that speaks of his comfort and and even of his exhortations. That joy is what the people who know, who even now know that their Savior is their high priest who has ascended into heaven. And he is interceding for them right now until the day that they are welcomed into glory. Such is their consecration. We give you praise, our God, for this consecration. That we have been sprinkled by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we have been made yours, that we belong to you, 
Keep us. Keep us as our Lord is praying for us. Protect us. Protect us from the evil one. Protect us from our own sins and our own folly. Keep us ever after to be faithful following our Lord Jesus Christ until we enter into that glory before you. In his name we pray. Amen.